back to another episode of your favourite silly footy podcast, Fangirls. I'm Brody. I'm Sarah. Um, and it's just the two of us today. We were going to be doing another interview episode, um, but unfortunately our interview fell out at the very last minute, but we had headphones and mics and our two little brains that are <laughs> working on about 4% battery um, at the moment. So let's. we thought we'd just see what happens. And have a bit of a chat. Uh, your daylight saving has turned us to mush. I feel it's – you know when you get on a plane on a long – trip and they start like turning the um lights down and they bring you like yogurt and muesli and you're like it's 4 p.m but you're trying to make me think it's breakfast time yeah, absolutely i feel like that's what's been happening with daylight savings where i'm like don't you trick me son <laughs> by coming up and telling me at six o'clock i don't want your gross muesli bar uh, no i totally get it so we, we yeah bear with us as we function it's gonna be so wonderful i have one quick thing i want to say at the top of this episode yes and it's a thank you to firstly everyone who has reached out about last week's episode um with uh our interview with emma murray um which we obviously could not hide how happy we were about it on the episode but um also it's been really nice not just tiger fans but just people who are keen to hear about brains and sport and men and you know good women yeah all the things that we were discussing it was really nice actually getting that feedback it was really nice and I got some in-person feedback the other day I would just like to give a shout out to that man at the bakery (laughs) Um, the other day, you never know when you're just a lady reading a book by yourself in public when you notice that a guy you don't know is kind of glancing at you. You never know what's going to happen. And the last thing I expected was for this guy to walk past and say, oh, I like your podcast. I like the Darcy Vessio episode. Oh, it's very so kind. So that was very nice. Slash a relief, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. A big relief, big nice moment. Um, yeah, it's like an IRL uh podcast review which yes. subtle reminder leave us some more of those if you'd like yeah just would love um the good reviews yeah we, we did get one that said meh but that's <laughs> all right <laughs> it was our first bad review meh it's okay i can handle it i actually think this is kind of a interesting time to be chatting and i thought it was so timely that we spoke to emma murray last week who if you didn't catch her episode is richmond tigers mindfulness high performance mindfulness coach she also does a lot of work with other elite athletes uh dealing with basically the psychology of being an elite athlete and uh she works with them to uh, i guess affect their greatest performance possible and in the days after we did that interview uh richmond tigers went to sydney to play the gws um it was a game that was being watched very carefully because we were missing a lot of players and uh, dustin martin was heavily tagged they did a great tagging job on him and as If you watch football or read football media, you would know um, an incident occurred on field, both one where he gave the finger and mouth some dirty words at uh, Mumford. I've been closely analysing that footage for four days now. A lot of lip-reading mates were were messaged and uh, he also got charged for... um, a high hit that happened off the ball, uh, which has since been reduced to one week uh, because the player who was who was the person that was knocked also came out and said it was it wasn't an elbow, it was a it was a flat arm and the impact was minimal. And it was to his shoulder, not his head yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So and the reason I find this interesting is because we were talking with Emma last week about the fact that Dustin Martin had been on the front cover of the Herald Sun every single day of that week leading 
into that game. Um, and this is pre all of this. This mm. is just two weeks into the season. And she gave us a great insight into the kind of pressures that someone like Dusty would be dealing with, but also the pressures that all, I suppose, kind mm. of footballers deal with in this in this day and age. And I thought maybe we could have a bit of a chat about that and the way that the media deals with uh, players when these incidences occur both on and off the field. Yeah, totally, because you and I watched the game together and I feel like with the context of Emma in our heads, we watched the game maybe a little differently. You know, we were saying yes. fight or flight at certain moments because that's what Emma had drilled into us was kind of the instinctual thing that was going on. But also, yeah, that idea that um, it's it's kind of like nice on paper to say to tune it out or to say that the things – that the media are talking about aren't going to affect a player. But it's, you know, we, we discussed this with Emma. It's inevitable that that stuff seeps in. I don't, I feel like I don't consume too much footy media. Like I listen to the Age podcast. I go on the Age website and read the AFL section every day, a couple of times a day. But aside from that, it's mostly just like on socials or going to the Richmond. Like my experience of footy media is very filtered through what's happening with Richmond. Um, But you have a very different experience of it. You consume a lot more, right? Yeah. And like I have have a streaming membership uh, subscription this year. So I watch a lot of the other games. I couldn't do that last year because I didn't have Foxtel. Uh, And I've always enjoyed watching the other games, which means that I'm also engaging with the commentators a lot, the Mm. different teams of commentators. I watch a lot of the Fox footy shows. Uh, and I watch I, – and, uh, and to, to be really honest, I'm basically on the AFL website every day. Like they have their own – you know, they have their footy feed. They mm. have their weekend wrap that they do as well uh, with Damo and a couple of the other journalists and footballers, and I, I do engage with that a lot. And this week was the first time in ages where I just went, I think I need to tune out uh, because I really didn't want to endure. And it's not just because it was Richmond, but I couldn't endure a whole week of debating – uh, a debate about the mental state or the physical state of uh, not just Dustin Martin, but there was a few other players mm. as well. Uh, it's that time of the year where the media start kind of, uh, I don't know, like pulling out people and, and, and kind of running them over hot coals and saying, you, yeah. know, you know, this person isn't doing enough and this person is. And in particular, I think sometimes the media in their desperation to cover a story cover it um, really badly and really ineptly and – um, just based on Emma's comments on how deeply the psychology of footballers runs, I think mm. it can be a little bit, you need your two-minute grab. You need to say, uh, this person needs to pull their socks up. They need a couple of weeks off. They're not tough enough. They're not as tough as last year. This is probably most specifically in reference to Dusty. And I just think it doesn't it doesn't speak to the whole situation. No, but the way that works then is that that quote gets printed in the paper the next day and then someone reacts to it and then the reaction makes the news. And then it's just this like machine that feeds itself with like not a lot of care or thoughtfulness backing it up that that does credit to the fact that players have brains that are also inside these bodies that are the singular point of focus it's like the kicking and the tackling isn't good enough and it's never the stuff we were talking about last week which is what's going on inside their head that's making those things like that their wires are getting crossed. And even when they do talk about their heads, they tend to be from a perspective that is it's a pull your head in. Um, 
I think it was Lloydie who was commenting on, I can't remember what the show was actually, I don't know if it was fully classified or, but his comment about Dustin Martin was, I think he needs the two weeks off uh, so so he can kind of pull his head in so he can get his head together. And I think that's very different. Saying get your head together almost seems like a, a physical response again to a mental thing. It's not, um, do you think there's issues stemming from the depression that he's talked about uh, that he was suffering last year and over the, and mm. over the summer? Do you think that this is anxiety induced? It's pull your head in, like you're a bad boy. You, you're you're intentionally doing this. This is this is you having a bit of a, a huff on the field. That, yeah. That's almost how that comes across. It's so patriarchal too. It's like so rooted in the idea of like blokes telling other blokes how to behave properly, but it's also all of that, it just feeds into this like really ugly kind of the root of all of this is like the idea of like how men should be. And like they will never admit to the fact that the Dusty's depression and anxiety is the root of this because those things are not like blokey manly topics to discuss on a footy show about a game played almost exclusively by men. Yeah, and and, and, I, and I think that um, there could be so much more. I know that this is a machine. I understand how media works. I worked in music media and I, I totally get the churn and burn and the need to get hot takes on stories up. But I think about the response that, say, was had to your interview with Dustin Martin that you did last year, Brody, mm. when you uh, just asked him a few questions about his feelings that he hadn't been asked all year. Yeah. And that became this huge story. People were like, my God. Dustin Martin opens up, Dustin Martin has feelings. And I thought, well, it was just because someone took the time to ask those questions yeah. that we began to look at footballers from a slightly different perspective. And and I'm not saying that it, the, the, the weekly game-on-game game analysis necessarily has to do that. I think there's room for both, though. Mm. You know, there can be like a more measured approach oh to Oh, my God, there's more than room because yeah. there's a show on every five seconds. Yes. Who yeah. are, and, they're, and they're focusing on like a 2%, you know, slice of the pie yes and the rest of it is all the stuff that is affecting what is going on in the stuff that they're talking about absolutely and i'm not saying that there isn't physical things that need to be responded to yes it's clear that say for example now we're talking about dustin for 10 minutes i did not mean for this to be the case but it is really clear to say that physically his game has changed study of all of this yes but he is yeah there's a lot of things going on his game has changed he does look less um, immersed in the moment when he's playing football. But I just think that there's so much more that could be talked about and, you know, kind of moving away from him and I suppose into the discussions of the way we talk about footballers, male footballers in particular I'm talking about right now. And I think it's it's really stark at this time of the year when we've come out of AFLW season and you've seen the commentary and a lot of the female-led commentary around that and how different it is to the mm. male-led commentary in AFLM. Uh, so, for example, Gaff came back on the weekend. This is the first time he'd played since breaking the jaw of um, Andrew Brayshaw last year. So he missed the grand final yes. and all of yeah, yeah. So, so quite and quite. You know, I, I imagine. I mean, what a horrible outcome for a player to to, to miss the the one thing that they kind of hold up so importantly mm-hmm. in this game. You know. All players will say the one thing that they craved in their career would be grand final, uh, but he's. There is no doubt, and, there was lo- and this is not to rehash the actual action that happened last year. He broke someone's jaw. It was a horrific. It was a horrific event, mm. and the consequences I think for Brayshaw will probably continue for some time because there are huge psycho- psychological consequences to having your your jaw broken on the football field. Absolutely. Um, but in his return, it seemed like the, the footy. 
um, like like brethren kind of gathered around him and like a fallen soldier returning from battle or something. Yes, yeah. And, and and I don't know. This might be just a reflection on a, pe- a lot of people seem to really like Gaff. They think he's you know say he's a good man. Maybe it's a reflection of how. Um, <laughs> We have a lot of trouble acknowledging that a good person can commit a bad act and that that act is still significantly bad. Yeah. In in football, I think there seems to be this need to be like, but that's so, but he's, but he's a good in football, bloke. but everywhere else. It's the idea of yeah. like, oh, this guy who's been accused of something horrible never did anything bad to me. So I can't believe it. Yes, and, and also has never done anything before. You know, you know, yeah. Gaff in his two hundred game career had never come close to something like this, and and I just found that when he came back on the weekend, there was and in the post game commentary there was so much talk about not just his extraordinary game. He did have a brilliant game, but what a how isn't it wonderful to see him back? Isn't it heartwarming? Isn't it? There was these this terminology was used around him, yeah. And I just thought I think that we can just allow Gaff to come in comment. Isn't he in great form after having missed a lot of football? That's yeah. fine. But this idea that he had to kind of be lifted up and um, that this like, – like he was they, overcoming some great thing. Yeah, all of this all of this stuff is really – I keep coming to this idea that we're in kind of like the first couple of episodes of like the season. Like we have a footy season but also like if you think of it like a season of TV, what happens in the first few episodes shapes the narrative and I feel like what everyone is trying to do right now – is decide what that narrative for this year is going to be. And Absolutely. so they're deciding that Andrew Gaff is going to have, you know, the Eagles, I imagine, are riding really high. They're looking really good. They've got Gaff back. It's like they've decided that he's going to become, like, the central character in this narrative that's going to carry on throughout the season. And it's like the reason he's back is because he punched a kid in the face while they were both at work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely. At the root of this. And you're right because I think that the Eagles look so strong this year. They are clearly the best football team right now and it's it is easy for Victoria media to kind of forget a little bit about that sometimes and it's clear that they are the they are the best team uh at the moment and I think that to make their story interesting this year if they are going to go on to be top 4 possibly paying in the black grand final again is the gaff yeah. Is the gaff narrative. You're right. And you could hear that being framed from, from the start of that game. Yeah. The the second last episode on Game of Thrones, it's always a big battle. This time it's going to be the Brownlow. It's yes. going to be him at the Brownlow. It's going to be the second to last episode. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And and I and, and it goes without saying that um the Dustin Martin narrative is I actually think that people uh, there are probably some people in the media who, who this the whole everything that's happening with the Tigers at the moment would be quite interesting because it has provided a, a different narrative for the year again for oh, that club. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, like 2016 was the, you know, we know it so intimately because we're, as com- people commenting on our podcast will say, we're pretty fixated on the Tigers. But, like, you know, 2016, very, very bad year. 2017, fairy tale narrative, like yeah. drag themselves up to win the premiership. Last year, can they retain the premiership? Can they do this? What about this? This year, it's fucking injury, this dusty scandal. Yes. ACL, wrist, elbow, hamstring. Like, it's just (laughs) – that's the narrative of the Tigers this year and everyone's going to be fixated on it because by the season finale, it's going to be either fairy tale or 
well, we we knew it was coming. Yeah, like, it, it was inevitable. It's all over. I did hear Caroline Wilson, actually, on the Age podcast, um, which I listened to too. It is one of my favourite footy podcasts. She said she's now barracking for the story, and I've heard her say that before. And yeah. as a journalist, I totally get why she says that. Now the story is, well, hopefully how do Tigers overcome this? Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, because I think of someone like Collingwood. Last year, Collingwood's story and narrative was so great going mm. into that grand final, and then they didn't get the fairy tale into that yeah. and I'm wondering how maybe this year the pies narrative is probably going to be shaped through players like Dugowie, people saying things like they have the best, um, one of the best midfields of all time because they've got this extraordinary midfield. But, you know, you can kind of see people struggling to find out what, how, yeah, yeah. They, how they want to focus because last year it was pies of shit. Um Mason Cox, what a waste of money. What a waste of money. And then that kind of began to flip on its head and then it was, you know, Bucks has got a beard. Um, (laughs) He's sensitive now. (laughs) He's sensitive now. Uh, But but I guess um, another thing I did want to talk about kind of in relation to this kind of knot was um, also the response. I was watching the Frio Frio North game and I – was watching when Fife went down with his concussion. Yeah, that was pretty this, brutal footage. It was, this, it was sickening, and kind yeah. of in the moment, it was. It, it's kind of rare that I never. I often. I don't often see those things actually happening. They're mm. often playback footage mm. or or whatever might might have been happening. But I, I watched it in the moment. I was with my partner on the couch, and I was like, "Oh, that was terrible." And then um, you kind of see his eyes flickering and his head wobbling and shaking. And when he was on the ground, and then the um, the staff came out and picked him up. I still have no idea why they picked him up and didn't put him on a It seems like stretcher. Honestly, like I don't want to make any claims because I'm literally clearly no expert, but that seemed like absolute negligence to put someone who had just slammed their head on the ground to just pick him up, make him stand up when the chance of that being a neck or spinal cord injury or something was not Nothing. No, no, totally. And sorry, I, th- I think I just said Frio North and I meant Frio St Kilda game because I was going to comment on something about the North and Hawks game as well. Um, I totally agree. So it just seemed like, I don't know, his legs were like jelly and his eyes were kind of weird and shaky and rolling back in his head. And it did kind of seem like a really strange response to not put him, I don't know. I, I, anyway. Yeah, like you said, I'm not a professional in those things. Yeah. But at that very moment in time, okay, obviously the AFL is doing everything they can right now to deal with head high knocks and uh, the conversation around concussion is going to get louder and louder and mm. louder over the next 10 years. But in that immediate moment, there was commentary t- Yes, it was like, oh, that's a terrible knock. But it was also like, oh, the words brave were used and Mm. uh, tough and I think mainly other adjectives like brave. Yeah. And it was only in passing and around what was going on. But nonetheless, I thought, why do we keep seeing a guy being knocked out, horrifically, sickeningly knocked out as brave like there's yeah. got to be other yeah. words we can use there's got to be another way of framing that that doesn't make it Absolutely. seem like it's heroic totally and it's like because that f- it's really upsetting and it's but it's almost like for I don't know I don't want to draw too long a bow here but I also feel like commentators who were who would say that's really horrible that's really upsetting I'm really worried for him would be showing an emotional vulnerability that is not like in keeping with the kind of direction of a footy commentary show. I think you're right. So instead what they turn to is what a good bloke, what a – oh, look at him, what a hero, 
what are what are other like you know um, what a brave captain yeah because those are emotions that men are allowed to feel are bravery heroics you know that kind of thing it's never sensitivity or emotional you know response if he had started crying you know what would they how would they respond to something like that it's you know he's clearly he's worried or he's upset or this has really affected him those are just conversations that I feel like the commentariat are just so unequipped to have I absolutely totally agree and uh, it's funny this week I was um google imaging a image of I was trying to look for a DeLong footballer crying because I was joking with a friend on Twitter and I was googling like Geelong <laughs> very, cats crying very niche joke <laughs> yeah very niche joke and uh I so in, and I found one and, and then I kind of went down this weird little hole of footballer crying photos because that's yeah. what I've been googling and it made me think about the times so that you see it feels like see, a very specific um interest of mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe we'll start a Pinterest page yeah the footy players crying uh and but uh, I made me realize and think about the times that you see footballers cry on the field and there's two there's two times you see them cry when they lose a grand final and when they end their career mm. and in those moments we are we celebrate their tears mm. you know we, we focus on their tears and we say look at the pain that they are gonna that they are feeling in that yeah. loss look at that pain this is the worst feeling you don't feel and that's the kind of stuff that's the kind of commentary that occurs around a grand final mm. loss and when they are a champion of a game and they're going out and they're saying goodbye to their career mm. like you said again it, it's like footballers aren't allowed to cry or feel an emotion that isn't about that isn't inherently linked to the idea of winning or to mm. the idea of a game in and of itself. Yeah, you know, look, that can't be separated. There can't be an mm. emotion for you. Can't be sad because your teammate is hurt. You yeah. can't shed a tear for him. You know, it's just an interesting. Totally, it's an interesting thing that we face, and it's interesting that it's something that. Um, this I is suppose really, the media perpetuates. Yeah, this is reminding me. Sorry, I almost cut you off there. Um, it's reminding me of that. One of my favorite things to do is obviously watch the final quarter of Richmond's finals games from 2017. Yes. And there's the footage when um, Jack Rewalt realizes that they're in the grand final. He starts crying. He his face is like contorted. Yeah. But then he also kind of starts choking a bit. And any time that footage was played, he was like, oh, I swallowed a bug. A bug flew in my mouth at that exact moment. The cameras caught me. But it's like you're allowed to you're allowed to be so overwhelmed yeah. with like an achievement yes. that you don't have to discount it by saying. But it's just oh, this all feeds just back into like the universality of like what masculinity does to everyone. But also what how it. It's like generational, you know, like everyone talks about like my dad raised me in the 50s to not do this and boys don't cry and this and that. And we now have like, you know, a couple of generations removed of that. Everyone wants to be like the sensitive in touch with their emotions. Dad, I say everyone, that's not true. But, you know, there's a little more conversation and awareness of this happening. But I feel like it's going to be I don't think we're going to see the any kind of positive effects no, especially in sport. Well, I was going to say it seems in particular in sport because I guess that you know, sport in that sense is is kind of designed to reflect those patriarchal norms, mm. and 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 it hasn't yet found space for this new generation of emotional vulnerable men or more emotional and more vulnerable men. Um, I think uh, you know it's coming. Uh, this is a very obvious example again, but also Jack Watts 
from Port Adelaide was interviewed at the start of this season after his first game, played a really good game, and he did break down in tears. I mean, you know, a lot of the reports said Jack Watts nearly breaks down in tears and gives an emotional interview. And it's such a telling interview. I can't remember who was doing it. One of the, maybe one of the Channel 7 commentators or Fox footy commentators was out on the field with him. And, you know, he he suffered a, a huge amount from, um, uh, you know, mental illness over, over the break. And, and he said, effectively, you know, what, what I went through recently um you know, nothing compares to that. Like I've been told, I was a sh- shit at footy my whole career, which he has. He's been he's been picked on since day one, yeah, um, because of because of where he sat in the draft. But you know, when when he did break down, the person who was doing the interview just went, "Oh, that's all right." You know, he he, he didn't respond badly. But he just went, "That's all right. Take your time, mate. You take your time." And um, and then he kind of gathers himself and he keeps talking. And I thought, you know what? What 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 a kind of inherently inhuman response! I know that it's the media, but if someone starts crying next to you about the fact that they've suffered a huge amount of um, sorrow and depression over mm. their break, I feel like the response is to be like, "I'm so oh, I'm so sorry," or "Or yeah. how are you?" or to touch you, or to hug you, or to you saw the inverse you know, after the women's grand final where Erin Phillips was being interviewed. She'd just done her ACL; her team had just won without her there in the final moments of it. And the female interviewer had her hand on Erin's back. And it's like they were kind of like holding each other as they did this really touching, emotional interview. It's like the absolute mirror image of it. Totally. And that was celebrated as well. Those moments and Phillips's vulnerability was celebrated afterwards. Mm. And uh, whilst we talked about the Jack Watts interview, no one kind of said, wasn't it, wasn't it beautiful? Wasn't it beautiful? Wasn't it touching to see that vulnerability happen in that moment? You know, it, it's yeah. dis- it's still discussed in two very different ways. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like the you, you brought it up before, so it's not me bringing it up, but the response to my interview with Dusty. I just remember like, you know, Rob. What's Robbo's real name? Mark Robinson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um he was one of the many media footy people who were like taking bits and pieces of that interview that Dusty gave me and quoting it elsewhere. And I remember him saying in the Herald Sun, it was the most revealing interview or the most revealing Dustin Martin's ever been. And as much as I was like, great, thanks for the compliment. I was also like, how many opportunities have you personally had to do a revealing or emotional interview with Mm. someone? And how many opportunities to does BT have fucking roaming Brian down in the change rooms after a game going up to a player? Like, I don't want to just be like mentioned and have all these opportunities, but men need to rewire the way that they conduct themselves in these situations. It's not just the commentators. It's the people doing the interviews as well, because they're the ones who have the most exposure and the most kind of face time and the most opportunity to kind of really dig into what's going on. But they I mean, we just keep saying they seem ill-equipped to say anything other than "How was that?" or "Oh, what do you reckon?" You know. And but what and what happens? Okay, so you know what happens if BT walks into a change room this week and sees someone who's had a bad game and goes up and puts his arm around and goes, "Hey, mate, you look you look really down. Are you feeling okay? Are you feeling okay after this game?" You know whose responsibilities is it? BT's responsibility to put to put those out there, or is it someone's responsibility to allow footballers to be vulnerable? Is the player in that case allowed to go? 
oh, yeah, I feel really shit, um, I'm quite yeah. sad, you know, I'm quite sad, blah, 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 you know, whatever the response might be, mm. is the football player even really allowed to give that response or in the kind of yeah. media savvy world we're in? in them? Yeah, that's what I mean, but they're all trained and they, yeah. they don't want their words to become a news story. I mean, yeah. the players can't really respond in great honesty anyway, can they? It almost requires like burning it all down and starting from scratch of being like how do we discuss what's happening on the field how do we talk to the players who gets to talk to the players how you know it's everyone from you know the commentators to the media training and publicity you know departments in clubs yeah I feel like I'm scrambling to try to create a solution for this right now. No, but you're right. It's like it's like <laughs> you know? system. I mean, it's so it's so systemic. It's so it's so about the system and about. Because you're right. If one person went in and just completely changed their approach, yes, every everything else would like start malfunctioning. It absolutely would. And they'd take that person out and replace them with someone else. Yeah, who yeah. Can like maintain that like personalityless, you know. Bland kind of style. Even sometimes when they do, I think of um, something like. Mike Sheen's show, so Talking Mike. Is that what it's called? Well, I've just gone blank for a second. I get really con- – it's like – what is it? There's Talking Footy, Footy Classified, AFL 360, um, Talking Tigers, my favourite, shout out. Um, but, you know, like – Open all, Mic. I just went so – oh, I don't know why my brain just did that. It's all right. All of them blend together. Because all of them blend together. He does these great, you know, quite um, journalistic interviews that – where he delves into, you know, he kind of goes back into incidences that have occurred within that person's career. And there are, and sometimes there are personal things that he goes into mm. and he asks them how they feel. And, you know, that kind of, it's still a balance between kind the two. Kind of like the Bob Murphy show yeah. a little maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that there, but it's, but it does still also feel like, um, the interviews that people give once they're out of the game and once mm, they kind of have that yeah. permission to look back and, and give that, you know, those more kind of um, interesting responses and they can kind of analyse their feelings from afar. Totally. It, it's different to being in the moment and that being part of the sport commentary and present commentary. Yeah, the stakes seem like too high when they're in it or something. Yeah. All right, so we have talked, maybe we've dropped one too many hints in the past that we don't get many emails because we have received a few emails in the last little while. One from someone that I'd like to read out on the podcast because it's kind of like an advice corner. Maybe this is a new segment idea, footy advice corner. Let's do footy advice. Yeah. If you want advice, email us. On anything. This is footy specific, but, you know, we're unqualified in many areas. Yes, so many areas. Um, So this is an email from JR who lives in Miami, Florida. The subject line is help an American fan out. JR says, greetings, y'all. So I caught onto AFL late in the season about three years ago. I never really took to a single team because it took the whole next season just figuring out what the hell was actually going on. Same. Um, (laughs) Except the opposite. I picked a team and then had to figure out what was going on. However, as a fan of women's sport, when I found out that Fox Soccer would show AFLW games, I was drawn to Carlton instantly. I don't remember if Taylor had come yet, but it was definitely Darcy Vessio who won me over immediately. So I've been watching the women's league for two years and love Carlton. However, I don't feel that same affinity for the men's side when I watch AFL. And maybe it's just because it's not women. 
um, can relate. Anywho, <laughs> is it possible to like a women's club and men's club but from different sides? Could one support Carlton women but like Hawthorne men? I mean, I'm just a guy from Florida, so it's not like I have any neighborhood or civic pride much. What would y'all do if y'all were me? Thanks and love the podcast, at least when it's recorded. Lol. <laughs> fair call, JR. I fair mean, call. fair. We're here now. We had a big, big break over the summer. <laughs> we had a really big break. Sarah um, learned to surf. Um, <laughs> this is kind of where we've been at for the last little while because the Women's League started and we were Richmond supporters already and Richmond's Women's League is not kicking off until the fourth AFLW season. So we've kind of been living this dilemma a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, very early on the piece, I do a a breakfast show here in Australia on Triple R. And in the first season of AFLW, we had uh, now Geelong Cats captain Mel Hickey coming in as our AFLW reporter and she, at the time she was playing for the uh, Melbourne Demons and so just through talking to her every week and hanging out with her and kind of riding her highs and lows I think I became a de facto uh, Melbourne football club women's fan but not oh, really yeah so I was kind of that was my team um for the first season of AFLW but then as my love has grown for different players uh I've certainly jumped around I think Carlton again you know Darcy Visser yeah. played a big part in kind of getting me over there as well so I think it's totally fine to to have a different uh women's team from a different men's team and if anything it's kind of the one of the other cool things that AFLW has provided us with yeah totally I mean I was I think I was holding too tight on the Richmond Carlton um, men's history of them being. Because when I first um, picked Richmond as my team, the first game I went to was the Richmond Carlton season opener. And um, before that, I had researched it as if it were a soap opera. I'm drawing a lot of comparisons between footy and TV shows today. But like, I was essentially like, who are the good guys and the bad guys? Who are the underdogs and who are the like, you know, their enemies? And so I approached Richmond as if it were a character in a soap opera and I wanted to know who she hated and who she loved. Um, And Carlton is one of Richmond's big rivals. So I remember I missed that first big AFLW Carlton game at Icon Park that first year that the league started. But the next, I think it was the next day or a couple of days later, I went down to Witten Oval in Footscray to watch the doggies. Um, and Susan Alberti was there and I was like, you basically are the reason that this league exists. And so I was kind of for a little while there, I was like, I love the doggies, the spirit of the men's team. They had just won the premiership. And I was like, I think I'm going to be a women's bulldog supporter. Um, but also I have found it the last few years kind of hard to attach myself to one team or the other in the women's league because yeah. I don't really have a set affinity Love Darcy. Also love Mel Hickey. Also yeah. now I'm like, do I love Adelaide? Yeah, totally. And that's the thing. I think that um, an AFLW, in a way that AFLM didn't, has allowed me to spread my love. Like yeah. I, I do, and I love individual players. Yeah, watching Maddie Press Parkers this year at Carlton <sighs> was so cool. Watching, um, yeah, like w- w- watching that Adelaide team perform the way they did has been really exciting. Incredible. Uh, so yes, I think Jr. The answer is yes. I think it's really cool to be able to have a women's a different women's team from your men's team. It'll be interesting to see what happens with us next year when we do get a totally. a Tiger Gal team. We've got uh, our first one with one of the one of one of the gals out of the kennel coming our way. It's in the the girl Katie Brennan is coming the across gal. from the dogs uh, to the tigers. So I mean that I suppose that's another thing. Like there has been a lot of 
uh, player movement in the AFLW in a way you don't see in the AFL because of uh, things like pay and restrictions on uh, the times that they play. So you're going to see that movement, I think, for a very long time in AFLW. Um, yeah, which until... means if you latch onto one player, you might be barracking for them at three different clubs. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, this kind of reminds – like just to tie this into what we were talking about before a little bit, I'm just realising as we talk about this, I can't – maybe I just don't see it. Maybe it does happen and I don't see it or maybe it actually doesn't happen, but I can't picture people online – or even at AFLW games, like sledging other players, you know, I feel like that kind of where we're all still so like supportive of its existence and the fact that it is allowed to happen that I don't think. And again, maybe it does happen. Maybe I just don't see it, but I just don't see how in the same way as people treat the men's game as something to like make jokes about or rag on opponents and, you know, yell shit out at games or comment nasty things on social media. Although I did, there was, who was it? Maybe it was Mel Hickey, although I don't want to put words in her mouth because it might not have been, but there was someone that I was speaking to about this. It was one of the um, AFLW players who did say um, they came out and they got a few boos mm. from the opposition crowd, but they kind of felt like that was a sign that they were they they'd, were, they'd made it in AFL yeah. because finally those rivalries yeah. were beginning to come out in fans, you yeah. know. So you did kind of get the boo at the well, you know Carlton Collingwood game or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as much as we're like, we just love that women are allowed to play. You still want it to feel competitive and yeah. like there are stakes. And there's certainly um, a lot of there. There's a lot of um, rough and tumble that happens on the ground that you can see you know, definitely Ooh. between different players. Ooh, I don't I know if it. they're saying anything. Yeah. But. <laughs> Well, if you we're want to, if you want some advice from us, as you know, we're very, um, we're very. Uh, what's the word where you have? Um, I, I was going to say word focused. <laughs> That's not true. Qualified. Can't even think of the word qualification. Yeah, sure, we're qualified. We're qualified to answer all your uh, desperate questions about. I honestly anything. just can't believe we've made we've been able to do this for more than half an hour today. I know, it's quite extraordinary. We without, deserve a treat. We do. We're heroes. We are heroes. Brave, brave heroes. Uh, thank you very much again for listening today. If you do want to leave a little review, we'd love it. If you do want to, um, you know, mention us on social media. We'd love it? to be tagged. Yeah, we love to be tagged. Not like Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> We're pro-tagging. Uh, pro-tagging. Um, um we're the protagonists of our own <laughs> stories. Oh, my God. Um, all the links to follow us on socials and email us are in the description of the podcast app that you're listening to this on. And thanks, as always, to Wet Lips for our theme song and Steph Hughes for our artwork. We've just updated our artwork on uh, socials, yeah, which I is th- another incentive to go and have a look. I think that uh, we're going to do like a little bit of merch. Maybe we're going to do some merch. Maybe this is a teaser for our eventual merch line at least some badges i'm into i like it let us know if you'd wear a fangirl badge i'm into a fangirl badge i'm into a fangirl badge my first season supporting um richmond i went to this like you know how brands do like activations at fed square i went to an activation that the tac was doing and what a time to be alive what a time to be alive you could get your photo taken and put on a badge with your team's colors with like a little slogan um and so I had my photo taken wearing my brand new, still very clean, not yet worn in Tigers scarf. 
and I got my photo taken. I got this little yellow and black badge with my photo on it where I said, Premiers 2014. <laughs> Mate, Very were, hopeful. You were probably one of the – that's not bad, though. It's not bad. It wasn't too many years you had to wait. That was the first year that they'd made the finals in 12 years. Uh, I used to wear a little badge when I was uh, used to hang out um, smoking ciggies at the back of Maccas a lot when I was 15. Hot. Yeah, thanks. And I used to wear skirts over pants, and I had I used to I had this little badge that I that I had that just said "Hey, hey, where the monkey? Hey, hey, the monkeys are back with the monkeys on it, the band, oh, the yeah. British band." But like, I didn't really know the monkeys. Yeah, and I wore that badge with so much pride, and nearly every day someone would say, "Oh, you like the monkeys?" And I'd go, uh, "Oh, not really." I used to use yeah. I used to also use badges as a. It was like why I jo- first joined eBay. What? Like the early 2000s, so I could buy like Ramones badges. Oh, yes. I remember getting a set of like 35 really tiny, like one inch pin. You had to search pins because they always came from America. Um, pins of the OC. Oh which my is God. my favourite show. And it was clearly just someone with a badge maker at home who'd printed out low-res photos of the OC and sold them to some <laughs> schmuck in Australia. Person is probably a millionaire now, though. I mean, I alone would have paid for like their car <laughs> but I used to wear it on the collar of my school uniform it was like a Ramones badge and a um, badge of Seth Cohen from the OC <laughs> such a statement <laughs> very cool now you just wear Dustin Martin on your lapel no I've got Dusty I've just got a visual show of support today uh, thank you very much for listening full credit to the girls full credit to the girls hey dad hey <laughs> dad